Well, good morning. Good morning again. As Alex and Katie both have said, welcome this morning to Milestone Church. And uh, I'm thrilled that you're here. I know we have a lot of friends and family to hear, especially on a weekend like this for baby dedications. If this is your first time, and I haven't had an opportunity to meet you, I look forward to meeting you after service. So thank you so much for joining us. But we are continuing with part two of a little mini-series that we're doing uh, called Vision. And I think it's important we take moments through the course of a year where we just kind of hit pause a little bit. And we just talk about vision. And not just simply vision for us as a church and what does that look like. I mean, that plays into it. But really, God's vision for you, for your life, for your family. And what does that look like? What does that mean? How do we live that out? So I think it's good that we take moments to pause, kind of reflect. If you've ever had moments like that where you take time to pause and reflect, it's good to do that. You're able to hear from the Lord and what he, may be, he might be saying to you and, and what he's wanting to speak to you. And last week we talked about vision, like what is vision and what does God's word say about vision. And, and really we dialed into really what God says he values the most, and that's people. Why? Because people matter to God. You matter. Your family matters. Your friends, your family, those that don't know Jesus, those that are far from God. But even once you come into a relationship with Jesus, you're significant. And God has a plan and a purpose for you. And, and so what I want to do today is I want to build on that. We looked at, really, if you look at our mission statement, reaching people, that's what we dialed into. This week, I want to focus on what does it look like to build lives? Building. You see, when you go to God's word, God's word is so significant because it impacts our perspective. It helps adjust and shape our perspective, how we view the world, how we view others, how we view life, how we view our purpose. But God's word not only helps our perspective, it also helps us to understand principles. The principles of how God builds. And when you look throughout the word of God, there's some significant keys and there's a pattern in how God builds. I love this aspect of building and this principle of what it looks like. And so we're going to look at that today. We're going to begin to look at what, what are we building in our own life? What does that look like? And, and what we are building, are we building something that is going to last is it going to last? Is it going to last the test of time? I want us to look at Psalms 127, verse 1. And it says, unless the Lord builds the house, the builders labor in vain. I, I don't know about you, but, but have you ever tried something and you feel like you're just laboring in vain? you got a, a lot of movement, but you don't have a lot of progress. It feels like you're spinning your wheels, a lot going on. But are you making progress? We've all been at that place at some point in our life, some aspect of our life. But God's saying, listen, the Lord is going to guide you. The Lord is going to help you. And if he does, you're not laboring in vain. But you're laboring and you're going to see fruit and purpose that comes from that. But he goes on and, and the writer of Psalms actually gives us one of the ways in which we build. And it's a significant way. In fact, we just experienced it right now during baby dedication, and, and it says this in verse 3. It says, children are a heritage from the Lord, offspring a reward from Him. So you think about that. It's not the only way. It's just simply one of the ways in which he builds. Because you could say, well, I'm not in the season of, of having children anymore. Or, or maybe you're single. Or maybe you're a young person. Like, I'm not married. I don't, I don't have a spouse. Maybe you're newly married. And you're like, we're not ready to have kids. So it's not simply confined to this aspect of what it looks like to have biological children. What he's also talking about is he's talking about the impact and the aspect of what it looks like to build through the next generation. 
And that's significant. Because when you look at a God vision, a vision that God gives you, can I tell you something? When God gives that kind of vision, it's always multi-generational. When God gives a vision that's going to last the test of time, it's always multi-generational. It's so significant. I want you to open up your Bibles, Matthew 16. We're going to get to Matthew 16 in just a minute. But, but honestly, I love to build. I love building. And, and, and I'm not talking about building with my hands, okay? I, 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 the problem with me is I kind of know just a little bit enough to kind of like tinker with stuff and kind of seem like I know what I'm doing. But if things go sideways, and YouTube didn't help, because all of a sudden YouTube makes you feel like I could do anything. I build a house. Just get on YouTube and just watch. I'll figure it out. In fact, you know, we're doing some remodeling and stuff. So I was like, you know what? I'm going to, we need to change it. You know, you change the wall color. Well, all of a sudden you realize those outlets aren't the right wall color. I need to fix those. So I'm in there and I'm switching breakers. And, you know, I got the little tool and I'm like, is the power on? I don't want to kill myself, you know. And so, but needless to say, I get and I'm trying to change an outlet. And it said it was off. But I touched that thing. Woo! My hair is not, I didn't, I, didn't, I didn't style it this way. This is leftover from yesterday. That thing was not off. I said, I'm leaving this to professionals. Where, where are they? I, need, I, I don't want any part of this. So I'm not building, I'm not talking about building something with my hands. What I really love is I love building people. I love to see people win. Win in the areas of life that matter most. I just spent some time with, with some men that had taken some intentional time over the last few months to really go, I want to dial into what it looks like to build and build in a way that lasts. I want to, I want to win where it matters most. And, and the significant aspect of that is seeing not just simply what God did in their own life, but seeing how it spilled over and it's impacted their marriage, how it's impacted their kids, it's impacted their business. You see, something happens when you build and you build with purpose. You build in a significant way. You see, that's what we're doing. That's what we all want. We all want to know, am I building, and what I'm putting my time and energy to, am I building something that's going to last? We think about it in our business. We think about it at work. We think about it in multiple areas and aspects of life. We think about all these things. But how do you know? How do I know? How do I know that, that I'm building on a vision? Well, here's the first thing. I, I think the first thing is this. We have to recognize we're all building something. Do, do you have a clear picture of what you're building? Are you building with the end in mind? Where do you want to end up? We never end up somewhere by accident. There was intentionality, even if you were intentional about being unintentional. You're like, well, I just thought it would just happen and just work itself out. You're going to end up someplace and you're going to realize this, was, this is what I built. Are you building and are you building in a way that's building to last? You see, you have to look at your life and be able to evaluate and go, listen, I'm not going to be confined to just the certain aspects of my life that I see. I'm going to see something greater for my future. I want a clear picture. I think about my grandfather. My grandfather, he lived in Laredo, Texas. My parents are from Laredo. It's a border town here in Texas. And I can remember going down to Laredo. And, and I love my grandpa, grandfather because he was a real simple man. He liked to just call it how it was. He had a brown dog. That dog's name was Brownie. He had a black dog. That dog's name was Blackie. It's like, 
there's no, why Fido, why Frank, why, why you know, whatever. It, he's like, call it what it is. I like that about Grandpa. I, just, I, I called him Wello. And so I said, Wello, why, why, why do you have all this stuff in the back of your yard? See, because he had this portion of the back of his yard, and I loved going there. It looked like a, it looked honestly like a junkyard. I'm like, what, what are you doing? And, and what he would do, see, he was, a, he was a veteran, and he worked on airplanes in World War II. And he was a master electrician. When he came back to the States, he would teach at the junior college, but he was always tinkering and building things. And what he would do is he would go, you know how people kind of put stuff they want to discard that they don't want anymore. He'd put it at the edge of the street, and he'd go around, and he'd pick it up, and he'd take it, and he'd put it in his backyard. And so it did. I mean, for all intents and purposes, it was like a, a junkyard. But one man's trash is another man's treasure. And what my grandfather would do is he had a clear picture of what someone would discard, he would take and give purpose again. And so I can remember one of the lawnmowers he had, had a different engine on the top that he had taken from one, had four different tires on it, wheels on it, you know. I mean, he just, but it worked. And you know what he did? He simply took all these things, but he had a clear picture. You see, you're all building something. Do you have a clear picture? He could see what other people discarded, and he saw purpose. You see, even in your own life, there have been people that have discarded you. You're maybe single again. You're overlooked. You haven't found the one yet. You're too young. You're too old. Whatever it is, and you can buy into that narrative and that lie. But God says, I want to give you a clear picture of a vision for your life and a purpose that you have. Here's another way that that we can know that we're building and, and know how to build with vision is you have to recognize that we only end up with what's on the plan. What is on the plan? Now, I like, I've, I've had the opportunity to be a part of a couple of builds, not only for, for churches, but even in my own home. One from the ground up, one where it was the early stages, the foundation was all already set. But I enjoy that kind of stuff. Like, I like getting into the deep, partly because I like what I like. Like, I don't want the wall there. I want it over here because that's how that makes sense to me. I know you think it makes sense, but you're not living in that house. I, I like the outlets here. I like the plugs here. I like the, I want the door to swing this way, not that way. And then it's like, all right, now you got to pick knobs and lights. I like all that stuff. Maybe because i got a little bit of a control problem. The Lord's helping. He's working on me. Okay, but, but I, I like that. Some of you are like, I don't want to think about that. Can I just move in? It's like looks amazing. Like that, that's what I want. I'm going to get into that. But here's the thing about that architectural design. You can get in there and, and you can have this nice little design and a little flyover and it shows you what the house is going to look like. But if it doesn't make its way into the plans, it's not going to make its way into the house. Because the builder doesn't build what's on the architectural flyover. The builder builds what's in the plans. You can look at your life and go, how did I end up here? My question to you would be, was it in the plans? Well, no, I didn't put this in the plan. Well, unless you put where you wanted to be in the plan, this is where you arrived at. Where do you want to be? What's the vision you have? What's the vision God's wanting to give you for your life? Make sure it's in the plans. Here's another way that you build on vision is you recognize that we overcome adversity with a clear vision. You're going to experience challenges. You're going to experience things where there's adversity and hardship and, and maybe even moments where people go, man, you're not cut out for that. Uh, it reminds me of being in athletics in high school. I know that you see me up here and you see my, uh, my physical prowess that you just 
overwhelmed by the athletic ability that you can recognize that I have, my stature, my build, the strength. Not really. I know. You're not impressed. You should have seen me in high school. I'm a late bloomer. I mean, I was like 115 pounds with my, all my pads on playing football. I mean, I'd shake my head. That helmet was, you know, all over the place. I had to put like extra ear pads in there so that it didn't move, you know. I was like five foot six maybe. I don't know. I mean, I was itty-bitty little guy, all right. But in my heart, boy, I was six foot four, 285 coming off the end. I was just eating up quarterbacks. I mean, you couldn't stop me. The problem was that wasn't the case. I was getting trucked left and right. I mean, I'd just get run over, and it's like, but I had this little ability. I was quick. So I was on the practice squad, and it was like, throw Lerma in there. It's like, he's like the little chicken. You know, I'm running around. You ever seen people chase a chicken? That's what it was like. I'm just running all over all these linemen. Trying. It was good for them. They got tired, but they couldn't catch me. So I was on the practice squad, and, and then you go into offseason with football, and I'm like, all right, well, Lerma, you're going to run track. I'm like, I don't like to run. They're like, well, you know, you already ran 200s for offseason. I want you to run the 200. You're real quick. I was like, no, nah, I don't, I don't want to do that. How about a pole vault? That sounds like a good idea. Why not run down a strip of track and stick a pole in the ground and jump over a bar onto a mat? Sounds like fun. So I did that. But little did I know that my pole vault coach was the powerlifting coach. And so he came to me one day and he said, Lerma, I want you to powerlift. I said, finally, y'all have recognized the power inside. I am mighty. So I was like, really? He's like, oh, you'd be awesome. I mean, he's pumped me up. And I believe he he genuinely believed that at a level. (laughs) You're awesome. So I went to my first meet. I was in the 125 weight division. I don't think I weighed 125, but that was the smallest that they had. They put you in this little singlet, you know, basically like, you know, shorts, like tights, you know, and it's got like overalls. I put it on, and I kid you not, I'm not sure where they got these high school students, but these 16-year-olds were like full-on grown men. They had like beards, and like, I'm like, what? I'm like, I don't even know if I have much under here. I mean, what are y'all doing? Like, what is happening? So, I mean, and then I'm like, man, they, they, they take those, you remember those old honey bottles that look like a bear? And they're, they're just getting, they're trying to get amped up. And I'm like, this is dangerous. Does my mom know I'm here? I don't know what's happening. What, uh, is this safe? So it's my turn to lift. So I lift. And you have to do bench press, squat, and deadlift. And it's combined total. And so I do. I do all my lifts. And I'm just, I'm fired up. I'm feeling powerful. I mean, I'm in, I got my singlet on, and I'm just, I did all my lifts, got them, and then they get to the award portion of the award ceremony. I'm like, man, I hope I did okay. You know, I really, I'm not sure. I'm just kind of, you know, I'm a little guy here, you know, and so they start calling the names. They're like, first place with a combined weight total of 1,000 pounds, you know, so-and-so from Bastrop High School. I'm like, that guy was real powerful. I mean, he was as big as I was, but he had a combined total of 1,000 pounds. That's a lot of weight. Second place. From Pflugerville High School with a combined total of 750 pounds, so-and-so. I don't remember what he said. Third place with a combined total of 325 pounds. Chris Lerma from Bowie High School. Whoa, it was me. I jump up. I take my trophy. I'm like, yeah. I'm, Coach, I did it. Third place. He said, exactly. You're powerful, Lerma. He said, there's only three people in the 125 weight division, so you're going to place third every meet. I said, Wall of powerlifting trophies in my house to this day. Wall of them. 
I got, I got one and one to look at. I got one for you if you need it. <laughs> Adversity. I could have been like, I'm too short. I'm too small. There's challenges in life, and as humorous as that is, what I love about my coach, while he may have been leveraging the advantage of there was only three people in that weight division, he saw something in me. And he saw that I'd be willing to step out and be a part of that. Can I tell you something? God sees something in you. And when you have a vision from God, here's what happens. Is you're going to face adversity. If somebody told you, be a Christian, love Jesus, serve him, and everything's going to be okay, they lied to you. It ain't going to be like that. I know that's improper English. Esther will tell me. She's telling me every time. That's bad. It's not going to be that way. It's going to be challenging and difficult at times. But when you know that you know that you know you have a God vision, that vision will hold you to it and you will not quit and you will not give up and you'll keep taking steps forward. That's what happens when you build with a God vision. So you got to recognize you can overcome adversity with a clear vision. But here's the last one, and I think it's often overlooked, is we have to recognize we can't build anything great alone. And Jesus is constantly bringing us back to this. And this is what he's talking about in Matthew 16. And in Matthew 16, he has the disciples in this area. And he's taking them to a region that was beautiful and lush. And it was green. But it was not a place that the religious Jews liked to go. Because King Herod had built a temple there. And when he built that temple there, there was all sorts of evil things and evil practices that happened. In fact, there was a portion of that area where there was a crack in the ground and there was steam that would rise from it and they actually said that that was the gates of hell. So that's actually what he's referring to here when, he, when we're about to read here. He's taking the darkest place that they can fathom and he's saying, I'm going to bring you to this place, a place that other people, other Jews don't want to come. It's the darkest place known to man at that time and I want to give you a clear vision and purpose of what I'm about to do and how I'm about to build. And here's what he says in Matthew 16, starting in verse 13. When Jesus came to the region of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, who do people say the Son of Man is? They replied, some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, and still others, Jeremiah, or one of the prophets. But what about you, he asked, who do you say I am? That's the question Jesus is asking all of us this morning. Who do you say I am? Who am I to you? Not, not who am I to your parent or your spouse. Not who am I to your friend or your loved one that invited you. Not who am I to your ideology or thought of Jesus or religion in this macro context. Who am I to you? I love what Jesus does. What happens is he will always take things that are general and make it very personal. Who am I to you? Who am I to you? And, and, and here's what happened. Simon Peter answered. He said, you're the Messiah, the son of the living God. And Jesus replied to him, blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, for this was not revealed to you by flesh and blood, but by my father in heaven. He's saying, look, this isn't something that you just got out of a textbook. This isn't something that you just did because someone told you is a good idea. This was revealed to you. You had a revelation of it. And because of it, watch what happens. He says, and I will tell you that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church. And here it is. The gates of Hades will not overcome it. 
I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. And whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven. And whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. Then he ordered his disciples to tell no one that he was the Messiah. You see, here's this significant personal moment. And the significance of this is that Jesus comes and he defines Peter. You see, you will not discover what you're called to do till you know who he calls you to be. And it's only Jesus that gives that level of identification. It's only Jesus that brings that level of definition. But where does it come from? It came from a revelation that Peter had, a moment that he had with Jesus, and it transformed his life. You see, Jesus is clarifying the vision, and then in the same hand, he's inviting them in to what it looks like to be a part of the church, to build the church. And what I love about Jesus is he's still doing it today. I I, want to unpack for a few moments how God builds from this text. There's some key things that we can extract from Matthew 16. Because Matthew 16 is significant. Last week we shared about Luke 15, which has been a really just a hallmark verse for us as milestone. Pastor Jeff, our lead pastor, has been preaching off Luke 15 since the very beginning. We'll celebrate 20 years this coming fall. But another scripture that, that has been kind of a, a key scripture throughout the years is this right here that we just read in Matthew 16. Because it's significant. And so I want to unpack what are those significant aspects that we see that Jesus is highlighting there. But, but before we do, I, I, I really want to kind of help you see what generational transfer looks like. What revelation looks like. What it looks like to build in that way. And I want to do it by sharing with you the story of Luke and Sam. Let's watch this together. Okay, loud. Go. One generation will commend your works to another. Will commend your work to another. They will tell of your mighty acts. They will tell of your mighty acts. Do you know this word says generation? Generation. One generation. So I started coming to Elevate, I was 15 years old. The church was just planted and my mom was a part of the church plant. I was coming every other weekend with my mom and I remember seeing Pastor Tyron, who was a young student pastor at the time. And it was the first time I'd seen somebody who was real, who loved God. And I was like, I don't know what it is that they have. I was like, but I want that. And that's where we met. It was like six months in when we were 16. I was really broken, and I was a, a kid who had a broken past and, and broken parents and a lot of pain and things like that, and I, I never thought it was even possible to really do something great. It hadn't even entered into my mind, and so I started to get around these guys, Pastor Jeff and these leaders who saw more for, for me. They saw it that like, hey, he has potential, but I needed so much development. And what I love is like they saw through the grit, they saw the gold. It was just wild to be able to grow up and elevate, be radically impacted in that environment, and then go on staff to serve students and everything that God did in me, man, it just gave me so much passion. And I was in student ministry for like nine years, and then just recently took over our online campus, online campus pastor. 
So after graduating high school, I went to college in Austin, graduated from there with an accounting degree and went to work in Dallas at Deloitte for a few years, got married, settled in Keller, Texas. And I always kind of had a tug for ministry. And so I made the move to oversee just the stewardship of finances and all the business aspects of Milestone. You see Luke and us like now, and we're like in our 30s, but it's like if you rewind, it's like we lived 20 years of compounding like development and conversations and people just not giving up, always saying yes. more, always kind of pushing into it. You think about you have, you know, plans and visions for your own life, but you know, until you walk that out in the context of spiritual family and having people around you who believe in you, who call things out in you, who are there for you and you know, the hard times and the, and the great times. It's really overwhelming to think like, okay, where we were at 16 and 17, you know, God would start with that. He saw us. Thankful for God to work it all out, you know, that we had people who believed so heavily in us and cared so deeply about us and just the process of us growing up here and experiencing that. And now I see my kids. I see my son. I see my kids who, who are growing up in an environment and knowing that God loves them and has them in for them. Our, our ceiling is our kids' floor. Mm -hmm. You know, what they're gonna experience. And so when we think about the next 20 years, we think better you can add, you know, than you can ask, think, or imagine for a whole nother generation. Sheena, I, I know Luke and Sam personally, and when I moved here and came on the team, I oversaw the team that Luke was a part of, so he was on, on the team that I led, and I got to know him, and I got to play a very small part of his life, but to see where they're at now, and what I love is, what I want you to get is the longevity of it all. You see, we can get bottled into this microcosm of what we want, we want it fast. We live in that type of society. Whether you realize it or not, if you're not careful, that's what you're driven by. I want what I want, and I want it now. But anything that lasts takes time. Family takes time. What I love about Luke and Sam is Luke and Sam, like they started at the youth group when Moston was planted now almost 20 years ago this fall. Can I tell you, it looked a lot more like what Elevate looks like now. It was a lot smaller, and it was in a smaller building. In fact, the first youth group, when they first started meeting, when they were coming, you saw them sitting on that couch. That was a back room of an office complex where the church was having, uh, they had, like, prayer meetings, and they had uh, their, their staff meetings, and they had an office where they, they did their weekly work, but then there was, like, a back room. And now to see where it's at now. How did they get there? Because you, you're hearing that story. You may, that's heartfelt. It's heartwarming. Pastor Chris, that's awesome. How does that apply to me? You see, what I want to do is I'm going to give you from Matthew 16, I think, some key foundational biblical truths, some anchor truths and anchor principles. Because, again, God's word not only impacts our perspective, it also gives us principles and how to live by. And I think there's some anchor principles there that we can take and begin to look at and apply to our life so that we too, in our life, in our family, in our children, can experience what Luke and Sam experience when it comes to spiritual family, when it comes to development, when it comes to building and building something that lasts. 
So how, how do we do that? How, how does God build? Well, the first way he builds is revelationally. Revelation. You see, the revelation of Jesus is the foundation of your life. What's the revelation of Jesus you have in your life? Who is he to you personally? You see, because we live in a context where you've got documentary Jesus. You have cultural Jesus, kind of just around him. You have, I periodically attend church, particularly at Christmas and Easter, Jesus. So I have an affiliation with him. I know about him. We have intellectual assent and religious knowledge or ideology, Jesus. And so we have this exposure to who Jesus is. But the question is, do we have a revelation of who he is like Peter had? We have an encounter and a moment. And Jesus is saying to each one of us, who do you say I am? Is he just a good guy, another person, a religious individual that you've kind of grown up around depending on the culture, the heritage, or the family you grew up in. You see, when I think of that, it made me think of, I think, something that really symbolizes something that looks great on the outside but actually has no power on the inside. You see, there's this street in California It's beautiful. It's got beautiful homes. In fact, Leave It to Beaver lived there. I think Lassie lived there. Uh, I think maybe even uh, Harriet and Ozzy lived there. You see, this street is actually a set. And there are houses here that are shells, but no one lives in them. There's houses as a structure, but they aren't a home. There's nothing on the inside. In fact, when you look at some of them, you see the front is a facade, but just on the back side, there's literally nothing there. And I think that sometimes that is how we can live our life. We can live our life that way at times when we have the facade and we have everything on the outside looking good. But the question is, do we have that power on the inside? Do we have a personal revelation of who Jesus is? Because we work really hard to make sure we have the outside. So you go, well, Pastor Chris, how do I know? Well, here's how you know. You have an authentic relationship with Jesus. How do I have that? You live a surrendered life. Every area of your life is surrendered to Jesus. Well, what does that mean? He has the final say. What you do, how you act, how you're growing... You're open to him as he speaks to you about how you dialogue with your spouse, how you raise your children, how you conduct your business, the language you use, the way you interact with people, the things you do. This is not about a checklist of do's and don'ts and do this, don't do that, say this, don't say that, go here, don't. No, no, no. It's a personal revelation that is authentic because over time, do you know what will happen? It will bear fruit of authenticity. For you parents in here, can I just help you for a minute? Your, your kids aren't looking for you to be perfect. In fact, they know you're not perfect. <laughs> they see you at your best and your worst. Do you want to know the greatest thing you can do for your children? Be authentic. And have an authentic relationship with Jesus because that will spill over in how you engage with them. So you have to have a revelation. If you're going to build with vision and you're going to recognize how God builds, you have to recognize when you look at what Jesus said in Matthew 16, he said, this was revealed to you. 
It wasn't because someone told you or made you go or made you uh, uh, embrace it. It was a revelation that you had. But then he goes on and, and he takes it to the next level. Because see, on the backside of that revelation is relationship. It's relationship. So, so what happens there? What does that relationship look like? Well, that's the second way that God builds. It's, it's relationally. It's relationally. When you ask people, what do you think about church? And when people actually ask about church, typically what most people think, most people are thinking through the lens. When they think of church, they think of a building. They think of a message. They think of a ministry or a program, an event. But can I tell you, it's far more than that. The church is the people. It's you. It's me. Making a difference. Living it out. Seeing what it actually looks like. You see, Jesus said what? What did he tell the disciples? He said, listen, Peter, because you've had this revelation, I will build my church on this. He's giving them a principle, and he's saying there is a fabric that I want you to understand that as you embrace this revelation, then you realize that God's joining you and bringing you into relationship with other people. That this is what the church looks like. He says, I'm bringing you in, and because of that, I will build my church on you. And then what does he say? The gates of hell won't prevail. So this church that he's building, the relationship that he's building, why is that so significant? Because you tell me your five closest friends, and I'll tell you your future. You will be the sum total of you, who you spend the majority of your time with. Now, don't hear it. I'm not saying. Does that mean that we just create a holy huddle and I'm just hanging out with the guys and, and, and people on my row? No. Because as we talked about last week, God values people, so we still need to reach. But you make no mistake, the people that you're around will impact who you become and your ideology and how you see, first and foremost, God, but most importantly then, as it translates after that, into how you see your family, how you see your wife, how you see your kids. I've done youth ministry for a long time, and I would tell young people all the time, show me your five closest friends, I'll tell you your future. Mom and dads, listen, this is not about you taking your kiddos and locking them up in the closet and you keeping them away from everybody. That's not it. You lay a good foundation because they're going to go into the world. They're going to have to learn how to engage and interact with other people. But there's a difference in who I'm an acquaintance with and who I interact with and who I'm actually building with. And so you want to take inventory about who your kids are around. Because make no mistake, those voices will shape how they see God, how they see you, how they see the world as a whole, and their place in it. Because the way God builds is with a revelation, but then he brings it into building relationally. And then lastly, how does he build? He builds generationally. Generationally. He said what? The gates of hell will not Prevail. What is he saying there? What, what, what is the emphasis of that? What is the significance of that? Well, you go back to the fact of the principle that what he's saying is what I want to do is going to last. It's not going to end with one generation. That's what I love about the church. It doesn't end with just one generation. What God has called us to do is that it plays through and there is a generational impact that happens. I think of a family that, that really kind of reminded me of that. As I was praying for you and preparing this message for us, and I think of John and Stephanie Haddock. Now, John and Stephanie share in, in, or serve in different areas in different ways, and I'm grateful for that. But you want to know what really stands out to me is the generational impact that they're transferring to their kids. Because their children serve in multiple areas. 
Their oldest serves and elevate on Wednesday nights. Their youngest two in the kids area helping out and serving. But I think particularly to Maggie, their middle child, their daughter. Maggie is back there most weekends and she's leading worship for kids that she's not much older than. She's impacting her own generation, investing in to her own generation. It's why we say you don't have to wait to be great. You can be a great kid. You can be a great teenager. You can make a difference now. But I want you to recognize something. See, you're hearing me say that. And you're thinking, Pastor Chris, this is all connected and tied to kids and children. No, 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 no. Listen, here's what happens. In every season of our life, If we're not careful, we simply view God's word through the season that we're in. So you think, well, I'm not having children anymore. Or I'm not married yet. Or, or, you know, uh, we haven't had kids. We haven't been able to have children yet. What does that look like and how do we do it? Can I tell you something? No matter the season of life you're in, the greatness of the church is this, is that every generation can impact every generation. That's what it looks like to be multi-generational. There are some in here that are part of, the, part of the wiser generation. A little gray hair or a little less hair. Can I tell you something? We need you. These young people that are in here, they need you. The wisdom, the life experience, the things that you've learned, how God's been faithful, they need you. Young people, can I tell you? That wiser generation, they need you. They love your energy and excitement. They may not understand it, but I promise you, They like it, they love it, and they appreciate it. You see, that's what the church looks like because it's multi-generational. Why? Because when God gives a vision, it will always be multi-generational. I want you to look at Psalm 78, 4 through 7 before we wrap up and I pray for you. I'll read this to you. And I I want you to let this soak into your heart and your soul. Because Psalm 78 cannot, can, can go from just being a scripture you read. This really can be a prayer for your life and for your family. But I want you to know that it's also, it's a, it's a goal, it's a key indicator in a way that we have always built at Milestone and that we will continue to build. Psalm 78, verse 4, it says, We will not hide these truths from our children. We will tell the next generation about the glorious deeds of the Lord, about his power and his mighty wonders For he issued his laws to Jacob, he gave his instructions to Israel, and he commanded our ancestors to teach them to their children. So the next generation might know them, even the children not yet born. And they in turn will teach their own children. So each generation should should set its hope anew on God, not forgetting his glorious miracles and obeying his commands. This is where God's taking us. This is where God's taking you. That one generation will declare to the next. And that can be found in your own home, but that can be found in a spiritual home as well. That's found in spiritual family. It's for generations to come. Because that's what we're a part of. That's what I love about being able to do what we do. It's not for us. It's for those that are coming behind us. When you live with vision, that's how you live. You live generation.